Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 448 for Tuesday, the 19th of April, 2016. So nice to have you here. I'm Robbie Ferguson. Help me welcome Sasha Dermatis. Hello, world. And all the way from England, there is Martin Wimpress joining us as well tonight. Hello, Canada. We have a fantastic show planned for you. Martin, thanks for joining us. Sasha, nice to see you. Martin, of course, is here to talk about Ubuntu Mate. Matt? Maybe? Who knows? We'll argue about it later. Uh, We're going to look at their amazing distro that kind of gives us a little bit of nostalgia with a modern bleeding edge distro of Linux. So stick around. We're going to be not only talking to Martin about the distro, but also taking a look at uh, the current beta. Awesome. What an exciting show. So you want to stick around for that. Also, I've got uh, NetTalk Duo 2 to give away, which comes with free long-distance calling. So if you want to give somebody a call in Canada like, or the U.S., there or you Martin? go. Or Martin. There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But we want to give one of those away, so stick around. You could be the winner tonight. Awesome. And here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. Netflix HDR is here. But do you care? Scientists in Japan have developed eSkin, and it's exactly as cool as you'd think. Zero-day attacks more than doubled in 2015 versus previous years. Warcraft fans are furious at Blizzard over server closures. Web hosting firm 123reg has has accidentally deleted an unspecified number of its customers' websites. Microsoft is suing the U.S. government on behalf of its customers. And in what one Twitter user calls democracy at its finest, Britain's Natural Environment Research Council turned to social media to find a name for Britain's largest and most advanced research ship worth over 200 million pounds. And it didn't quite go as planned. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome back. And tonight it is Ubuntu Mate Night. I vote Matey. Martin Wimpress, you have the final say. He's looking at us like we just did something to Oh, well. Seriously? Yeah, Martin, it's, um, it's a Spanish word. It's uh, mate. It's Ubuntu mate. Is yeah, this, is yeah. This a, a cup of something that we can drink? Like- yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, from Yerba Mate. Oh, yeah, the uh, the guy who originally forked from Gnome Two to to Mate was from Argentina, and in the big renaming of all the things, they all, everything got Spanish names. I guess mate. I've been put in my place. We're Canadian here, so if it doesn't mate. have the accent over the e, it's mate. <laughs> is it? A, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Is it a caffeinated <laughs> beverage? Uh, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a tea like beverage, but it's highly caffeinated. Okay. I um, I approve. Martin, we are only 18 seconds into the interview, and we have completely digressed already. <laughs> I can tell this is going to be an amazing show. Hey, we've got a nice little studio set up for you. Where Thank are you. you calling from tonight? 
Uh, I'm in Hampshire in uh, the UK, so down on the south coast. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. We're here, of course, broadcasting live in Canada. And uh, we're broadcasting. We're doing this. Just before the show, Martin said to me, were you serious that uh, you were doing this through a cell phone connection uh, last week? And we are. We actually have uh, BlackBerry hanging off of the side of the computer, and we're, we're actually able to do this broadcast. So if things hold up, fantastic. If not, we're recording to disc. Hopefully we'll hold on to your connection. Everything seems to be pretty rock solid. I, I did come this close to disconnecting it, of course, because as, so, First as thing soon she as did I sit down in the studio, the I'm like, laptop. things yeah. need to move here. The feng shui is off. <laughs> Why is <laughs> the laptop like, over here? <laughs> <laughs> so, no! Sasha in the house. <laughs> Martin, uh, Ubuntu Mate. It's going to take some getting used to. For the record, yeah. I used to say Ubuntu. So it could yeah. be worse. I could be saying Ubuntu Mate. Yeah. I'm sure you've uh, you uh, heard that I, I really don't mind on the pronunciation. Um, so Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Mate, whatever takes your fancy, whatever comes right. most naturally, it doesn't matter. Thanks, man. Well, let's talk about 16.04. This is the first long-term support release of Ubuntu Mate. Yes, and it is. For the, for the people that are new to Linux, can you explain to us what is LTS, long-term support? Uh, okay, so uh, it has uh, two lengths of support. So um, the uh, official Ubuntu has a five-year support window, so that means it gets um, fixes and security updates for a five-year period, and uh, you get new ISO releases, I think, every quarter for, for two years. So you'll get up to 16.04.5. Um, and then proper Ubuntu continues on for another two years beyond that with, with fixes and security updates. And then other flavors have the option to apply for a three-year LTS or a five-year LTS. And most of the community flavors like Ubuntu Mate apply for a three-year LTS. And I only know about this uh, f from like yesterday when I actually had to go through this process. So okay. uh, we've applied for a three-year LTS. So Ubuntu Mate's, we have to support our stuff Yep. for three years, and then after that you'll get the updates on the underlying Ubuntu system. For the next two years following that. Okay, yeah. so basically if I install the, the distro right now on my computer, it's going to be supported, and that means uh, it doesn't mean tech support, like you can pick up the phone and call somebody, but you're getting those security patches and those updates for the next yeah. three years specifically, and then an additional yeah. two years for extended long-term support after that. So that's right. Yeah, that great awesome. way to run it, and uh, it's going to give us the long, uh, the best longevity to the distro. So that's got to be an exciting thing for you guys. What happens after three years? If I install it now, do I have to then reinstall, or are you sticking with the Ubuntu model of being able to roll up to the next? Uh, the next available LTS. Yeah, so um, our first official release with Ubuntu was 15.04, and since 15.04, uh, we've had the mechanism in place to upgrade to the next release. So I've got one of my laptops as upgraded from 15.04 to 15.10 and now 16.04, and I've got a couple of others that have just gone from 15.10 to 16.04, and I did make, when we were uh, an unofficial project, a 14.04 version, and I have updated a couple of computers from 1404 to 1604 as well. So you can upgrade over what you've already got. Great. So from an end user perspective, what that means is that I don't have to reinstall my operating system every year or two years as a new distro is, is released. I can just roll up to the next yeah. 
next version. I love that. Oh, that's perfect. It just makes sense. So let's look at, okay, so that's the distribution. We know about Ubuntu. Ubuntu from Canonical is a huge uh, distro. It's made huge, a uh, huge difference to Linux on the desktop and yep. uh, is also now working its way into other devices as well. Uh, where does Ubuntu Mate fall into that? What is Mate versus just vanilla Ubuntu? Well, Ubuntu Mate is Ubuntu. So we we set out a number of goals and objectives right at the very beginning of the project to sort of help guide some of the decision making that we had to take. And by and large, it, we want to be Ubuntu. We want to use the Ubuntu tools and utilities. We want it to look mostly like Ubuntu, so it's familiar to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've got a strong emphasis on accessibility, so that's uh, language support and also um, support for uh, blind or visually impaired individuals. Um, and we want to preserve the traditional desktop metaphor. So if you've used a Mac or a Windows computer at all in the last 20 years and have been conditioned by that, Ubuntu Mate will be immediately familiar to you and something that you can use. So it's really Ubuntu with a traditional desktop and then a few uh, tools and utilities that we've added into the mix to, uh, to really sort of try and set it off. Fantastic. Uh, I, I would welcome the chat room now. Sasha is active in the chat room there, looking to uh, to field your questions. Viewers who are watching live, if you have any questions for Martin Wimpress, uh, one of the developers of Ubuntu Mate, uh, this is your chance to to get those in. Um, so along that vein, uh, Martin, what I'm I'm thinking about, I've been fairly vocal when Ubuntu decided to go the route of uh, of Unity. Then. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the shift in the paradigm. I understand the shift in the paradigm. I, I understand its usefulness when, you know, devices are coming out that are, you know, as fast as a computer but fit in your pocket. And, and that's the, the way things are going. But Ubuntu Mate, to me, kind of takes us back to that original desktop paradigm being yep. that, you know, you're used to the applications menu and the ability to just click on that. And it's very well organized in Ubuntu and uh, and go back to kind of the roots of Linux and the roots of even Ubuntu, uh, Mm -hmm. the earlier versions of Ubuntu being uh, GNOME 2.5 based uh, as far as the desktop environment goes. It really takes me back to that. Yes, it it really does. And and there's a good reason why it does that. So uh, around the time that GNOME 3 was just starting to emerge and Unity, I think, was into one or two releases that had been been available... um, I I was uh, I made the switch to GNOME 3 and actually moved to Arch Linux mm-hmm. and I'd installed GNOME 3 on my wife's laptop and some time went by and then one evening she wanted to organize baby photos on on her laptop and uh, could not get on with the file manager in GNOME 3 at all mm-hmm. and stern words were had and very hurriedly <laughs> What have you done I, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very hurriedly. I I'll I, make it better. Yeah. I'll start my own distro and I'll release it to the world and it'll be a hot distro and officially <laughs> supported by Canonical. That's you've, you've sort of truncated the story, but yes, go. that's now precisely the start. course of events. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. 
<laughs> I have a, a question from SoundPro69, who um, says he's a fan of Ubuntu Studio, which by default comes with XFCE, mm-hmm. and wants to know if he can switch to Mate without compa- compatibility issues. And also, is it very heavy in terms of resources compared to XFCE? Okay. Uh, the fir- to answer your first question, there's somebody in the Ubuntu Mate community who is an Ubuntu Studio user, and what they've done is they run Ubuntu Mate and then install the Ubuntu Studio meta packages over the top to bring in all of the video and audio tools that they, they want, and it's completely compatible. You can do that, no problem. Um, and in terms of um, resource usage, Mate and um, XFCE are very, very close in terms terms of um, their memory and CPU consumption. I did some benchmarks on this a couple of years ago. We're talking in the tolerances of sort of um, 15, 20 megabytes of of one another in terms of a a full running system, so very close. And to give you an idea of of what you can run it on, our most popular version of Ubuntu Mate is the version that runs on the Raspberry Pi 2 and the Raspberry Pi 3. So when you consider they only have one gigabyte of RAM and fairly modest ARM processors, then you can see it it really sort of can span everything from uh, single board computers all the way through to, you know, high-end workstations. So if this runs really well on a Raspberry Pi microcomputer, this is a computer Mm -hmm. the size of a credit card, how well will this run on my 8-core Intel i7? Yeah. 32 gigs of RAM. Quite. Yeah, quite yeah. Well. It uh, the 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 tagline there is uh, it makes modern computers fast and older computers usable. <laughs> That's good. Um, so thinking along the vein of uh, okay, Raspberry Pi two and three, uh, we love those devices, and Ubuntu Mate is available for them. What other platforms do you support? Uh, so 32-bit Intel and 64-bit Intel and PowerPC. Uh, so going all the way back to the old um, iBook G4s, G3s, G5s, that sort of era. And because of that work on PowerPC and the fact that the Ubuntu archive is available, uh, is built for, I think, seven, six or seven architectures now, but PowerPC being one of them, there's then a niche of the niche of the Ubuntu Mate community, which are the PowerPC users within our community and there's a company called Eon or Aeon and another organization they make modern power PC based uh, motherboards and workstations and those companies have now made their own images of Ubuntu Mate with the necessary kernel patches and driver patches so that they just you know work out of the box so quite broad architecture support and um We've made an ARM image, so making the Raspberry Pi image, there's some specifics there for the Pi. We make a root file system which doesn't have the Raspberry Pi kernel and drivers and what have you, and that's available for ARM enthusiasts and OEMs so that they can put Ubuntu Mate on their favourite ARM devices, and it's quite popular now on Banana Pi and Odroid and Orange Pi, and I, I see it cropping up all over the place. It's quite yeah, pleasing. I, I'm thinking short answer everything. <laughs> most things. Most things that are relevant at the moment. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and I love <laughs> that you're working to breathe new life into older systems because fact is there's yeah. some good old hardware. You were showing me a laptop that you, yeah. you have an old laptop that, well, you know, what do I do with this old thing? Can't put Windows 10 on it. Exactly. But, right? I c- oh. but maybe Ubuntu Mate. Could breathe some new yeah. life into it. 
I haven't. And, oh. and the pro tip for that is go and buy yourself a cheap SSD for your old computer. You know, not an expensive one, mm-hmm. and then put that in, and then install well any Linux distribution, frankly, and it will really transform it into a very usable. In fact, right here, right next to me, I've got my old um, ThinkPad T43P, oh, which yeah. is a Pentium 4M. I think wow. it's 10 or 11 years old, and I've found a, a Chinese manufacturer of IDE SSDs, and I've put one of those in there. It's a perfectly usable computer now. That's fantastic. Okay, I have a question from the chat room from LichenX. Um, he hey, says, when I try to uninstall Firefox, it asks me to uninstall Ubuntu Mate Core. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'd like to keep the Mate applications. Is there a way around that? Uh, not at the moment. This is quite a technical explanation. Um, but but uh, due to the way that the images are made and the dependencies that exist in the packages, if we were to use the traditional follow recommended packages on install, we'd end up pulling in large chunks of Unity and GNOME 3 into the Ubuntu Mate image, which would make it massive and fill it up with a load of duplicate software. So we have to explicitly not follow the recommended packages in the install and what that means is is that you can't have packages that are optional in the system so you get the whole thing and uh, if you remove it it will take the meta package away system will continue to work it's best you don't do that my tip is it's only 20 or 30 megabytes just um hide it in the menus so go into the menu editor right click on applications places system edit menus just put a tick next to Firefox and hide it. It won't bother you again. Makes sense. That's awesome. Okay. Um, thinking about the retro nature, uh, you know, how Ubuntu Mate reminds us of the Ubuntu of the good old days. You, Martin Wimpress, are also a part of a project that is rebirthing Compiz. Is, yes. Is <laughs> reloaded a yeah. project that is inevitably going to see the light of the Ubuntu Mate distribution? Uh, it's a good question. So there's been some uh, advantages of being involved in that, in that the... Uh, so Compiz in Ubuntu is Compiz 0.9, and Compiz in most other Linux distributions is 0.8, and that's sort of Compiz before Ubuntu started to sort of uh, transform it and use it for Unity. Right. What I've been able to do is work with the guys with from Compiz Reloaded, take some of the patches from their system, uh, their Compiz 0.8, and implement them in Compiz 0.9 that provides much deeper integration for Mate on in Ubuntu Mate and Compiz now. So we've had integration for about a year, but just in this last cycle, that's, that's deeper than ever. Um, I don't know what Canonical's long-term plans are with Compiz 0.9. I certainly can't maintain that. But having a group of people working on a Compiz, that, that opens the gateway. And I'm a, a Debian contributor, so my thinking is maybe get Compiz reloaded into Debian. That will then be an option for the future to... Uh, if, if if Compiz 0.9 is no longer maintained and I, we can't support it, then we can look at Compiz Reloaded. So it's kind of a backup plan. Well, you've got our vote and the vote of our community. I know that we have viewers uh, with accessibility issues that use the Zoom, yeah. the Zoom features, which, quite frankly, there is no Zoom feature that quite matches that of Compiz. Uh, yeah. 
And we use it as well here on the show so that people who are watching on their little three-inch cell phones can see the things that we're doing in the Linux terminal because we use the Zoom feature um, yeah. from Compiz as well. And, and despite all of the wobbly windows and spinning cubes and everything, and that's what everyone thought about when I first introduced Compiz into Ubuntu Mate, yeah. the reason for doing it is, is I think it's the first goal and objective is to support um, uh, everybody regardless of their physical ability. And the reason Compiz is there because, as you say, the uh, Zoom facility is first class and it's an absolutely essential accessibility tool. Agreed. Okay. I have another question from SoundPro. Um, he asks what the minimum required resolution is for Ubuntu Mate. <laughs> okay. Um, would uh, 1024 by 600 be enough? Well, we quote 1024 by 768 okay. as the minimum. You can just about get away. Uh, with a vertical resolution of 600 pixels, that sort of uh, netbook resolution. Uh, if you uh, tell the panels to auto-hide and things like that, in fact, there's a, there's a utility as well in Ubuntu Mate called Mate Tweak, which does a number of different things, uh, and one of which is it can change the user interface to represent different operating systems. But one of the layouts in there is simply called Netbook, and it's a minimal uh, desktop arrangement to suit netbook users. So if you use that, you can just about get away most of the time with 600 pixel vertical resolution. Okay, so you'd be able to see like full dialog boxes and everything at that just about there's a couple where you just have to drag them off the bottom of the <laughs> screen a little bit but F11 generally yes that is your friend okay yeah awesome absolutely when you get into those lower resolutions but good to know that it is yeah. supported and and nice to know that there is a netbook um setting mm -hmm. i'm thinking hmm, we've got a, a an acer netbook at home i might just think about that <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, we are speaking with Martin Wimpress. Uh, he is one of the developers for Ubuntu Mate. It's so nice to have you joining us tonight. Where can we get access to Ubuntu Mate, a free Linux distribution? Okay, the website, uh, and this is where I'm going to break from convention here, is ubuntu-mate.org. <laughs> And that's because <laughs> if I say ubuntu-mate, everyone See, knows what I say mean. Say it phonetically. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't want people to misspell it, right? Um, yeah. So this is basically Linux. Um, we learned that Mate is like a, t a type of tea, so we'll say this is Ubuntu Linux with a cup of tea. Um, right. So you know, fantastically enhanced. Uh, for those uh, of us that are a little bit old school with regards to Linux, I think it's a, a great distribution. I think that you're also doing a great job of uh, bringing Linux to older hardware. I think that we have a problem right now with Linux in that we're, we've been pressing so hard for the newest and greatest features for touchscreens and things like that and modern hardware that the, the whole idea of Linux working really, really well to bring new life into older hardware has kind of fallen by the wayside with a lot of distros. And mm -hmm. Ubuntu yep. Mate is really bringing that back, supporting PowerPC and lesser hardware, and giving us something that we can deploy. If you've got an old computer, if your your family has an old computer or somebody that you know, here's something that you can install that's going to breathe new life back into that computer the way Linux used to be. 
Yeah, and and although it's it's sort of nice and it's quaint to be able to run on old hardware, there is a very useful practical angle to this, and that's that um, a lot of organisations when they uh, their computers get to end of life, they will send them to charities who will refurbish them and then distribute them into you know emerging uh, nations and third world countries and what have you, and having an, a, a relative a relatively modern operating system that's easy to understand that's free to use and free to install is a good platform for doing that and I've spoken to a number of people out in uh, Asia and Africa who are using Ubuntu Mate successfully on refurbished equipment in uh, in schools and what have you so that's that's really great to hear about that not something I'd really considered uh, when this all kicked off I was really just trying to keep my wife happy but knowing, <laughs> knowing that it's got broader appeal than that is uh, is really great I think also there's there's the flip side of that. Of course, the 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 want to help other people, of course, is there, and that's a part of the nature of the community of Linux mm -hmm. and the whole spirit behind it. Uh, but also, think about all the Windows XP systems that were mm -hmm. going going to the dump, or that maybe here's another scenario: somebody is still running Windows XP because they simply can't afford to go and buy another system. Right. Yeah. Windows uh, 7 is coming to end of life in 2020, which is really not that far off. So when you think about it, that a modern piece of equipment right now that's being forced to, you know, upgrade to something else. Right. But those XP systems come to mind, and I think, you know, they're still operational. Here's a chance to get that person from a security perspective onto an operating system that is still supported, that's still receiving updates when new zero-day exploits come out, they are patched. Um, and they're not left sitting on old old software. Not old hardware. Forget about the hardware. The software that's on it is what's pushing mm -hmm. the need to upgrade. So thanks for all you do. I have, uh, well, it's I have a lot of fun. questions, but this one is really important. Is your wife happy now? Yes. <laughs> Wedded bliss has been restored. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have time for more questions? Uh, yeah, uh, I want to, if that's okay with you, Martin, just before we sure. get off into the news, uh, we'll wrap up with a couple more of your viewer questions in the chat room. That's Category 5 on Freenode if you want to hop in there. And, of course, if you're watching this on demand after the show, uh, you can also email us. Uh, it's live at Category5.tv, and we will redirect those questions or answer them as best we can. Okay. All right. So, Lichen, um, Lichen X one has another question. If um, if I'm on Ubuntu Mate but choose to use Awesome WM, if you uninstall Ubuntu Mate Core, would you end up breaking anything? Uh, if you uninstall the whole of the Meta package, yeah, uh, and take all of it, all of it with it, you, yeah, you run the risk of that. Um, but there's no reason why, if you're running Awesome, I'm going to guess that you're technically uh, experienced enough to know how to replace your window manager, and you can run another window manager with Ubuntu Mate just fine. Okay, okay. And uh, does ZFS work in Ubuntu Mate? That's from, ooh, Jaylim. 
Okay, so uh, ZFS has been introduced in 1604, somewhat controversially, some people might say. Um, it's not uh, an install option in any of the uh, Ubuntu desktop operating systems. So when you're going through Ubiquiti, you won't see ZFS as an option there. ZFS is really there for the server and cloud images stuff. That's where ZFS really ha has its uh, role. But uh, I think it's uh, ZFS-Utils is the package. If you install that on any Ubuntu Flavor 16.04, that will bring in all the tools and utilities, and you could uh, plug in six disks and create a, Z a ZFS volume, no problem. And for those who are saying, what's ZFS? It doesn't matter to you, so don't... don't. <laughs> I was more like, what is awesome? <laughs> it sounds It sounds awesome. great. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look into that. Absolutely. Do you have another question for Martin here? While we that is everything I have. It's everything we have? Yes. Well, Martin, uh, keep up the great work to you and your team. And uh, thanks for all you do. Uh, of course, we're talking about 16.04. This is your first long-term support release of Ubuntu Mate. And out of respect, I'm saying Mate. You notice that? I have noticed right, that. Thank you very much. Right back to me <laughs> after, the, after this interview. Uh, <laughs> we are looking at Beta 2 today because that is the currently downloadable version off of your website. However, uh, I understand the release is right around the corner. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, the release is April 21st, sometime on the April 21st. I don't know when exactly yet. All the flavors have to align and we all have to be pointing in the same direction and what have you. So uh, the final version will be out then and uh, there's been an awful lot of bug fixes uh, between beta 2 and uh, the final release image. But if you download the beta image now and install it, um, all the usual software updates will take you all the way up to where we are today and to final release and onwards so Perfect. you can install it today and get the uh, the final experience you don't have to wait for the full release it will download the updates and get there it will get them so all yeah it's like the birthday week of the final release oh <laughs> it's releasing on my birthday birthday the 21st yes. is your birthday yes <laughs> and the queens also. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> Had I known it was your birthday, we would have embed embedded another Easter egg in Ubuntu Mate Welcome. <sighs> well, we'll just that, uh, that knows all of the important dates and uh, flashes stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Martin. Martin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, do check them out. Uh, the website again? Uh, Ubuntu-mate.org. <laughs> I just had to hear him say it. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Martin. We're going to take uh, a look at the news, and uh, we'll be back with more Ubuntu Mate. Uh, Martin, we'll let you go so that you can, uh, I guess it's fairly late there where you are, uh, but uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to actually take a look at the Beta 2. We're going to yes. install it. We're going to look at the desktop and show you at home what Ubuntu Mate has in store for you. Ubuntu Mate. I shall, I shall look forward to seeing that, and my one word of advice is when you see the welcome screen, don't just close it. Have a good look round. There's all sorts of important stuff in there for you. It's our secret source. Yay! <laughs> I heard Easter egg and welcome screen. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. It's Tuesday, April 19th, 2016, and here are the stories we're covering this week. Netflix HDR is here, but do you care? Move over, normal skin. E-skin is here. Zero-day attacks more than doubled in 2015 versus previous years. We'll tell you what this means and why it's happening. Warcraft fans are furious at Blizzard over a server closure. 
Web hosting firm 123reg has accidentally deleted an unspecified number of its customers' websites. Microsoft is suing the U.S. government on, half, on behalf of its customers. And the Natural Environment Research Council learned the hard way this week that you can't count on social media to name your boats. We'll have the rather hilarious outcome of their contest to name their most sophisticated up-and-coming ship valued at 200 million pounds. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Robbie Ferguson, and I love being a Vimeo Pro member. As a web broadcaster, I need an affordable video hosting platform that's as flexible as me. A pro membership lets you upload up to 20 gigabytes of HD video each and every week with no additional bandwidth restrictions. That means if you produce a show that uses even up to 20 gigabytes of storage, your limit resets itself the following week, so you can do another 20 gigabytes. And keep doing that week after week. Now, Category 5, with all of our shows, use roughly 10 gigabytes per week. From there, Vimeo automatically generates all the files that you need to provision your RSS feeds, Roku channel, website media player, or even video downloads in multiple bit rates, with no limits on your bandwidth usage or how many people can access your files. What's best? The price is astonishingly affordable. And for a limited time, friends of the Category5.tv network will receive a whopping 25% off the annual price. All you have to do is go through our link, cat5.tv slash Vimeo, and sign up today for your 25% discount. To top it off, you get 30 days to try it risk-free. If you're not happy with Vimeo Pro, you pay nothing. The deal is only for a very limited time. Go to cat5.tv slash Vimeo. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category5.tv newsroom. In the race to bring TV viewers the latest and greatest, Netflix is now rolling out what many are calling the next technological wonder, high dynamic range, or HDR video. For those who thought it couldn't get better than high definition TV, brace yourself. Netflix claims the new format gives customers an even more visually stunning experience. By providing more contrast between light and dark images, HDR creates a more vibrant, realistic picture. You get a little bit more dynamic cinematic type color, explains Adrian Baldziaki, CEO of enterprise software company ARB Labs. He says viewers will notice an improvement in shows and films with many bright or dark images. He cites as an example the original Netflix series Daredevil. The show is constantly in the dark, dark hallways, there's shadows... That's when you start seeing a difference, he says. Netflix reports only one series so far, Marco Polo, is streaming in HDR. However, more shows, including Daredevil, will soon be added to the list. To view HDR content, you need a premium Netflix subscription. In Canada, that costs $12 a month. You need really fast internet. Estimates range from 18 to 25 megabits per second. In other, word, other, in other words, if you have a basic cheap internet package, chances are you will not be able to stream Marco Polo in its finest format. Likely the biggest hurdle is that you need to buy an HDR-ready TV, which are new on the market. 
chances are that your current set is not compatible. Emily Taylor, an analyst with the International Data Corporation, says HDR seems to be widely regarded by the industry as a, as a whole as the next step beyond 4K. She explains that 4K only addresses resolution or picture sharpness, but HDR adds finesse to the contrast and colors. Okay, let me just say, Robbie, I have a super awesome, super awesome TV. It's probably ready. I have like the upgraded Netflix. I have a yeah. fast internet. I can tell you, and I might be, I, I'm probably blind to it, but 4K because I have like the premium, so I get 4K yeah. on my 4K TV, and I don't see much of a difference. How big is your TV? 60 inches. So you should. Uh, well, Dave says that. How many fingers am I holding up? Right, Dave says that, and also we have surround sound, like 7.1. Yeah, and are you like, I can't tell where it's coming from. Yeah, he's like, you can't hear like that the waterfall is behind you on the left. I could, I could handle the low-tech version, probably. I do not see. I'm like mm. blind. And deaf to the finesse of these things. So I understand that Netflix has got it going on and they've got like... Sure. But it's sort of like having like gourmet food made by like Chef Ramsay, right? Only certain people <laughs> I would are going to... love that. Only certain people are going to be able to taste the difference. I'll guarantee a Sound Other- Pro 69 is in the chat room thinking, I know the difference. If I sit in front of uh, high fidelity system right. and then i have 7.1 high fidelity versus a cheap knockoff system there's a big difference but you have to have a little bit of a you, you do have to be a little bit on the the snobby side to really I guess detect so. and care like I, it's well, like a fine wine versus the cheap house wine yeah. oh yeah i can tell the difference but it's the real snobs that can say oh i can't i can't even touch that it blows Dave's mind because he'll, he'll come home and I'll be watching TV and I don't even turn the amp on. He's and like, you're listening to it through the TV speaker. Yeah, he's like, what no are you way. doing? No, can't be done. Like, ah, I didn't want to use the other remote. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it boils down to, too, is that Netflix is commonly used on tablets, phones, other smaller devices. And mm-hmm. yeah, you can bring it up on your TV and that's fantastic. But a lot of users are using it on their smaller devices so you're not really going to be tapping into those awesome features but if you want to you can watch marco polo there you have it (laughs) scientists have developed ultra thin electronic skin that can measure oxygen levels when stuck to the body the goal is to develop such skin to monitor oxygen levels in organs during surgery can i just ask yes is eight a good oxygen level? No. <laughs> if your oxygen level is eight, you need those contacts from they last week. They might need to upgrade the LED. Yeah. Wowzers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prototype, folks. Come on. Eight is bad. Okay. Tests on volunteers found the skin provided stable measurements of oxygen concentration in the blood. The device contains microelectronic components that light up in red, blue, and green on the surface of the body. That's in red because eight is bad. Scientists at the University of Tokyo are working on ways to display numbers and letters on the skin for health monitoring purposes. I love this. I love it. I think that any way that technology can use itself to help the healthcare industry. 
it's more instantaneous feedback as well. So it's you're in between. I, I'm thinking about last week. We talked about the contact lenses that could tell if you were exactly. Dead. And we joked about it and we laughed about it. And C128D called us on it on YouTube and said, "I know you were just ribbing. I know you were just having fun. But let's clarify. Can I read this comment? Yes. This comes to us from C128D through our YouTube channel. It says, "I know you enjoyed having a lot of fun with the news stories, but it appears that you might have missed the point about the contact lenses sensing blood sugar levels." All jokes aside, this is an excellent feature as it would warn you about a dangerous blood sugar level before you passed out and died. That's good. That makes sense. The wording of the story kind of made it sound like, oh, you're already dead. Right. And and this makes sense in that it's a preliminary warning that, hey, there's something wrong with your oxygen level. Right. So they're going to use it in surgery, which is perfect. And I'm thinking they could use it in transplant. Say you're getting something transplanted and they want to make sure that the transplant is taking properly. They slap on some of the skin and they can see whether or not the blood is flowing properly and you're getting oxygen. It's really just the start. But, you know, uh, my wife has had three children, and, and I think about how they're all constantly monitoring oxygen levels and, yeah. and keeping on top of that. And would this be a more accurate, more quick way to, to tell just, those things? I just picture, like, hilarious first, like, the baby's just been born, and there's, like, a skin on it, and there's a number. Not the baby. Oh. <laughs> I guess he could put it. Yeah, I, yeah, well, I guess he could. I haven't had is kids, it, obviously. Is it intrusive? Does it does it prick the skin? It doesn't look like it from the photo, no, but it's hard it, to tell. No, it doesn't look it intrusive at all. It. it looks like it just layers on top of it. So like that may actually be a, a really good thing. Yeah, put it on a baby, I think. <laughs> <laughs> More comments to come. Yeah, share yours <laughs> in, the, in the comments below. Yeah, right there. Thanks. The number of attacks that exploited... Previously unknown software vulnerabilities more than doubled in 2015 as hackers raced against security defenders to find effective ways to infect end users with malware. The term zero day was coined because affected software developers have zero days to release a patch that keeps users protected. The number of zero-day exploits reached an unprecedented 54, according to researchers at security firm Symantec. Compare that with 24 in 2014, 23 in 2013, and 14 in 2012. The increase was partly caused by the breach of Italy-based zero-day broker hacking team, which spilled six closely guarded zero-days into the public domain. It also came as Adobe and other developers significantly reduced the time it took to release patches that plugged zero-day holes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they release patches faster, and yet zero-day exploits are coming out faster. Because the hackers are probably fighting back and trying to come up with new ways to get around. Right, it's like they're all working the round the clock. It's a battle, folks. Symantec researchers wrote in the company's annual Internet Security Threat Report It is difficult to defend against new and unknown vulnerabilities, particularly zero day vulnerabilities, for which there may be no patch. And attackers are trying hard to exploit them faster than vendors can roll out patches. There you go. The report went on to say that the Angler Exploit Kit, a package sold in internet crime forums, I didn't even know those existed, (laughs) was able to quickly integrate the growing number of zero days into its arsenal. 
<laughs> the growth in zero-day attacks came as software developers sharply reduced the time it took to patch the underlying vulnerabilities. On average, it took just one day for them to release a patch in 2015, compared with 59 days in 2014 and four in 2013. The accelerated pace is likely a major contributor to the increased number of zero-day attacks. Once a vulnerability is patched by a significant base of users, attackers discard it and replace it with a new one. The statistics in the semantic report underlie an arms race between criminal hackers and the software developers who are charged with trying to stop them. Given the nearly unlimited number of critical vulnerabilities that can be found in widely used applications, especially those like Flash that have sprawling and aging code base and a massive number of users, the attackers continue to get the upper hand at the expense of computer users everywhere. Just a side note, the software suffering the most zero-day attacks last year was none other than Adobe Flash with a whopping 10 vulnerabilities or 17% of all the 2015 zero-days. Wow. So criminals have like an online shop that they can just shop on? Sure they do. Just Absolutely. Like, how is it how does it still exist? How do you have a web like it's a wow. Could be part of the undernet. Who knows? Um not me, but I find it interesting to think that the arsenal of these zero day, zero day exploits, you think of them as one attack, one attack. You think mm-hmm. of them as individuals, but to think that there are repositories of potentially 10 attacks or 17 attacks or 20 attacks that are just sitting in wait. And rather than releasing them all at once and making the company scramble and then being out of any arsenal, releasing one, watching them to fix it, then releasing another one and constantly feeding back into the exploits so that the companies have to fight back. And then, you know, where's the big one? Where's the the big whopper? It's sort of like some horrific technological water torture where you just... The poor folks that are constantly combating it. I know. It's inevitable. Keep up the but good work. When, w- <laughs> yeah, when will Adobe just call it quits and say, no more, everyone, uninstall Flash? <laughs> Firefox already said it. Well, they oh. said upgrade. But I, I like to put words in their mouth. Perfect. Thanks, Robbie. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, all right? <laughs> World of Warcraft is an online multiplayer game in which players explore a vast landscape, complete quests, and interact with other gamers. The original game from 2004 has since been updated with new installments that have some players that some players have say have materially changed the experience of the game. So some fans have set up their own servers to play the original vanilla World of Warcraft. Game studio Blizzard Entertainment no longer operates servers for the original World of Warcraft, so some fans run their own. Less than two weeks ago, a popular fan server known as Nostralius... I'm just going to let her try it. Nostalrius. Nostalrius. <laughs> it's a cross Nostril. between a walrus and a nostril. No. Nos- Nostalrius. Nostalrius. Why would they name it this? Because it sounds fancy. Nostalgic. Stump you. <laughs> With 150 
thousand active members was closed after the threat of legal action by Blizzard Entertainment. A petition to allow gamers to run their own servers for the original World of Warcraft game has attracted more than 100,000 signatures online. Blizzard has previously said it had no plans to reopen access to the classic game. Commenting on the closure, the team behind Nostalrius <laughs> posted, We never saw our community as a threat for Blizzard. It sounds more like a transverse place where players can continue to enjoy old World of Warcraft games no longer available. Hmm. Why mess with people who just want some old school fun? I still have Unreal Tournament Server Edition game of the year and i still you know it was released in 1999 and i up until you know 2009 i ran a server and i still have the executables and i still plan to one day put it back online and but every time i run it there are still people playing it see people like nostalgia which i guess is the reason for the name but people like it which is why like my raspberry pi is gonna be just jam-packed full of old that's the idea like awesome old games people That's don't want to souls it used to be about the music and the smells now it's about the video games <laughs> but people want what they they started out with right to true enough ah, why would you do this blizzard why web hosting firm 123 reg Reg, 123 reg has accidentally deleted an unspecified number of its customers websites now this comes out on the heels of a humorous eye-opener last week when Marco Marsala posted to Server Fault that he had deleted his company. That was a great gag, but in 123Reg's case, this is real life. The company, which hosts 1.7 million sites in the UK, said an error made during maintenance effectively deleted what was on some of its servers. We can conclude that the issue... The issues faced have resulted in some data loss for some customers, the firm admitted. It stated uh, it started a recovery process, but was a, but advised customers with their own data backup to rebuild their own websites. The web host, which has 800,000 customers in the UK, would not say how many websites had been deleted, but said it was a small proportion, a small proportion of 800,000. Websites are hosted on computers called servers that can dish up pages to thousands or millions of people at the same time. Some people pay for a private server, a dedicated computer that hosts only their website, but this can be expensive. A cheaper option is a virtual private server, or VPS, a machine that can host hundreds of websites but mimics the functionality of a private server. The company said it was performing a cleanup operation on its VPS systems when a coding error in its software effectively deleted customer websites. Since the maintenance mistake was made on a virtual private server, it was able to wipe out many websites in one go. 123reg Reg, 123reg did not have a backup copy of all of its customers' data since the VPS product is an unmanaged service. Mm. This means customers are responsible for their own backups. E. That said, they are working with a data recovery, recovery specialist to manage the process of restoration. Yikes. Robbie. Yeah. 
this is crazy and horrible. And again, people should be backing up, I guess. You take for granted that you upload it to a web server, you upload your stuff to a server, to the cloud, and your stuff is safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happens when the company that you're hosting with does a big mistake? That's a really, like, I feel bad for them. But I feel bad because I know that the amount of stress that they'd be under because the blame that goes on to a company because it's their mistake. Right. The blame would be astronomical. However, it's an unmanaged service. And I think users have to realize that if you're paying for an unmanaged service, and I see this because, you know, people, uh, I, I run a man, you know, I work for a managed service provider. Right. So we charge more to provide better service. Right. We keep backups. Those backups are not on site. Those backups are always up to date. Right. And if something happened, if you deleted your website and called us up and said, I deleted my entire website, can you help me? I would say, yes, I can help you. Right. That's managed service. So if you sign up for unmanaged service, yeah, you pay less, but what happens if they delete your stuff? Mm-hmm. Whoops. I certainly hope many of the websites had backups. I think, unfortunately, they didn't. A lot of them did not. You deploy something like WordPress, and all of the input happens on the web. Where's the backup? Where's the files? Yeah. Right? It's all Uh. web-based. So unless you actively have installed something to do a backup, Mm -hmm. then where is your backup? weird that it happened just one week after that internet gig. it really is yeah kind of tongue-in-cheek but Oops. had to mention those are not the same instance so that people don't hear your story and say oh i heard about that and it was just a joke yeah no, this, this is one was real real life yeah all right microsoft corporation has sued the u.s government for the right to tell its customers when a federal agency is looking at their emails it's the latest in a series of clashes over privacy between the technological industry or the technology industry and Washington. The lawsuit, filed on Thursday in federal court in Seattle, argues that the government is violating the US Constitution by preventing Microsoft from notifying thousands of customers about its government requests for their emails and other documents. The government's actions contravene the Fourth Amendment, which establishes the right for people and businesses to know if the government searches or seizes their property. Microsoft also claims it violates their own First Amendment right to free speech. Microsoft's suit does not focus on data stored locally on people's computers, but rather on the storage of data on remote servers, which Microsoft says has provided a new opening for the government to access electronic data. The loss in the lawsuit, Microsoft says that the government is increasingly directing investigations at the parties that store data in the so-called cloud. The Department of Justice is reviewing the filing. You never know when your privacy like I feel like everybody yeah. doesn't realize when they're very few people realize when their rights are being violated due to privacy issues. goes back to the cloud, doesn't it? It's, yeah. I use Gmail for all my email, and okay. I sort of do, but 
I don't but have you, anything. You but can't I don't... have a perceived right. thought that that is private. You exactly. can't post things in a private chat on Facebook and think this is private. Right. I'm not like, I would like to buy that and let me type to you my credit card number and the expiry no. date. Right. Like Never send a credit card number by email. Right. Because it's not private. And rarely are things private online. Interesting, though, that Microsoft is suing over the requests. So they are basically admitting that the government is forcing them to provide information, to provide data that is stored on their cloud infrastructure. I guess what the Microsoft is saying is they want to let us know, and the government's saying, no, you yes. can't. And so Microsoft is saying, uh-uh, I can say whatever I want to the people, right? Yeah, that's a good twist. That's smart. Their lawyers are pretty smart. Very so cool. So let's hope that, uh, that they have an impact there. Yeah. All right. In what one Twitter user calls democracy at its finest, Britain's Natural Environment Research Council turned to social media to find a name for Britain's largest and most advanced research ship worth over £200 million. And it didn't quite go as planned. The Natural Environment Research Council asks the public to vote on a name for the state-of-the-art vessel, challenging people to come up with an inspirational title. What they didn't count on was the sense of humor of the British people. Thank you, British people. When the internet poll closed on Saturday, Bodie McBoatface led the list with 124,000 votes, more than four times that of the nearest rival, Poppy May. Are you serious? Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface. I love you, person who thought this up. Universities and Science Minister Joe Johnson signaled that the minister that ministers were unlikely to endorse the result. I think that they should be forced to. It's he, a legal requirement. I think so. It is the First Amendment right of the person who came up with Bodie McBoatface to have the boat named. It that. has to happen. It's the best name ever. <laughs> It'll be the nickname, regardless of what they want. Yeah, aka That's what everyone will Bodie call McBoatface. it. I don't care what they print on the hall. It will always be called Bodie McBoatface. Right. They could call it name a vessel. Look. <laughs> <laughs> He added, the public has come up with some fantastic and very imaginative suggestions. Sounds like a kindergarten teacher. We are reviewing all of them. We will come to a decision in due course. Bodie McBoatface was put forward by James Hand. Thank you, James Hand, a former BBC presenter. Oh, we should have known it had to do with the BBC. (laughs) He apologized (laughs) profusely. You should not have to. After the name stormed to the top of the public vote. It was not the only humorous name to feature in the most popular choices. It's Bloody Cold Here came fourth with 10,679 votes. Usain Boat, also love that, came sixth with 8,710 votes, while others to feature in the top 20 include I Like Big Boats and I Cannot Lie, <laughs> and what, what Iceberg, and Bodie McBoatface The Return. I feel like that's the next boat to be released. Bodie McBoatface, or whatever she may be christened, will set out on her maiden voyage from the Camelaird shipyard in 2019. Big thanks this week to Henry Bailey Brown, Roy W. Nash, and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us. If you have found a news story you would like to send, email it to newsroom at category5.tv. 
for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the Category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. This here is episode number 448. That means we've been on the air for 448 consecutive weeks faithfully, even when our internet is weird. Um, Strange internet issues lately, but it all has been resolved. Well, kind of. Your laptop has a tethered BlackBerry hanging out the side, pointed at the tower with our new SIM card. Our new SIM card. Now, the new SIM card is from a different provider. It was our previous one who was seemingly unreliable. And so we uh, just need to unlock the modem, which goes to our tower out front. Mm-hmm. To give us proper internet, because mm-hmm. we use LTE here, there are no high speed, uh, high speed enough. Is that high speed enough? There are no fast enough internet service providers here at our industrial complex of Studio D, uh, other than going with a cellular service. Right. So we need to unlock that router. That's going to be the topic of an upcoming show. We're going to show you how to make it so that your router or phone, or, you know, we've talked about phones in the past, but a router specifically, we're going to unlock it so that we can put any SIM card in there and use the service. Right Mm -hmm. now, as it is, it's locked to Bell. Bell was our service provider previously, and we're not happy with them. So we've I've set up a Rogers SIM card, so that's good news. That is so good. we're on Rogers tonight, and we've been broadcasting. We did a full interview with uh, Martin Wimpress from, uh, from the U.K., awesome. live, and we had no blips. We had no, no dropouts. Blips. It was and smooth. So, Rogers, I think you are the, the winner. We'll see, and we'll see what the bill looks like as well. I have to say, because I, I am with personally with rogers are you now i am and And i can say i love them do you i do i love their customer service i mean i'm i think that's what it boils down to it's about customer service when i've ever whenever i've had a problem which hasn't been often when i call rogers they sound like they care I don't know Bell, not if so they much. care, but they really sell me on it. I feel like I am a bad person when I call Bell support. Oh, I feel like the people who get fired from Rogers work for Bell. The disgruntled ones who quit. Yeah. Rogers has, too I mean. smiley here. I can't I stand it. Not everybody. Not everybody in this whole wor- whole world can have Rogers. I feel like it might be just Canadian. So these are two internet but, service providers that are local to us, and I right. think they're pretty neck and neck as far as the service goes. I was looking at a speed test, and the speed of our service tonight is about the same as it was with Bell, but it's working. Mm-hmm. They treated me well. The price is actually a little bit less, not significantly, but I did find that having reviewed our bill, Bell was overcharging us as well. Um, so they actually were charging us more than what was quoted on the from right. the website as part of our package. Um, so for the bandwidth we were using, we were paying significantly more. So not happy about that at all as well. But uh, So we'll see how things go. But that's yeah. kind of where we're at. It's a little bit makeshift, and we are doing it from here at uh, Studio D. Can we get right back into Ubuntu Mate? Let's. All right. I know that we're – how are you for time? Let's just do this. Let's just this do is, this. Let's just do this. Thanks Dave won't it. know if I'm a little late. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, you are uh, joining us. If you're joining us right now, we had a nice chat with uh, with Martin Wimpress from Ubuntu Mate about their long-term support edition of the operating system. Now, what long-term support, as we found, means is that basically it's going to be supported for at least three years. You can have it installed on your computer. You don't have to reinstall your operating system. It will roll up to the next version. It's fantastic that way. That's the rolling release cycle. So what we're going to do is we're going to head on over to Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu Mate.com, which Mate. then redirects to org. But it is, it's spelt phonetically, it is spelt mate. That's true. Ubuntu-mate.org. And you can go to download. And, of course, right now the version that's on their website is 15.10. That's because we are broadcasting this Tuesday, the 19th of April. On Thursday, the 21st of April, two days from now, as we're broadcasting this live, the version 16.10 is going to be released. So in order to get that tonight, what you want to do is head on over to Ubuntu Mate, and I'm just going to grab it for you, get the actual proper link. It's Zeniel, ubuntu-mate.org slash Zeniel. And by heading over there, as we learned tonight from Martin, you can download it even in its beta form, and you're going to be able to uh, to install that, and it will get the updates to bring you up to the full release when it's released in two days. So don't worry about whether or not you're going to be stuck on a beta version. No, you're not. It's going to automatically update. So downloading that distro, mm-hmm. you can burn it to a DVD, you can set it up on a, a USB flash drive, simply follow the instructions on the page where you download it. It gives you an ISO image and that allows you to actually then install this operating system on any computer. That's perfect. That process can be destructive, so pay attention to the questions as you're installing. Uh, you want to know that, hey, if if I have a backup of everything on my hard drive that matters, then that's okay. I can wipe out Windows. I can wipe out the old version of some other operating system that's on there. If you've got an old computer you want to breathe new life into, this is it, Ubuntu Mate. And then you can install it and wipe out your hard drive, and it will become mm-hmm. an Ubuntu Mate system. That said, you can install side-by-side so that you can boot into Windows sometimes. You can boot into Ubuntu Mate. Just follow the prompts on the installer, and you'll see how that works. Tonight, we're going to just look really briefly at the interface so that you can see what is different about Ubuntu Mate versus uh, Windows, versus Mac OS X, versus other Linux distributions. I'll just zoom out a little bit there so that if you're using Overscan, you don't get cut off. So this is the kind of welcome screen that Martin was telling us about. And it's a really great idea to go through this, especially if you're brand new to Linux. This pops up when you first fire up the operating system. And from here, you can learn all about the distro, all about Linux. It really sets it apart from other Linux um, distributions in that, you know what, this is good introductory information not only to Ubuntu Mate but to Linux in general. It walks you through some of the, you know, what's different? How do you use it? What software is included? What software might you want? Mm -hmm. And you can go through that uh, introductory process. So when you're done with that, you simply close it out and it will come back up the next time that you uh, log on unless you're completely done with it and you decide to click on that uncheck box that says open next time I log in. So we can close that. So let's take a quick boot. Okay. This is that old style nostalgia that I'm talking about. 
it looks a lot like Ubuntu, uh, like the older Ubuntu's. Mm-hmm. It looks uh, before Unity came out. It looks a lot like um, uh, GNOME or GNOME 2.5 because Mate is or Mate is based on that. I know, right? <laughs> I said I'm going to have trouble. I said <laughs> out of respect for Martin, I am going to do my best to call it Mate. Okay, so Martin, I I, I agree. Mate or Mate? Did he call it Mate? Mate. 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 Ma- ma- anyway. It was but he much, also called it Gnome. It's everything and that, that Martin says sounds classier. I know. So when I can't mate. do it the same way. But he says Gnome, which I realized... Like, that doesn't sound too classy. Doesn't, I don't love that, Martin. If Can you're we go with this, a silent G? We're going with a silent G. Right. It's Gnome. I know... <laughs> You're not here. We are creating so much division in the Linux world right Cannot now. Cannot be gnome because she's picturing a little garden gnome. Totally. Absolutely, I guarantee you that's what she's picturing. Not a gnome. <laughs> so here we are in a in a knockoff or a fork of gnome. Uh, 2.5. No, this is Mate. And so let's take a look uh, through the menu system, what, what we have here. So accessories, we've got backups, character map, basic stuff, calculator, which is a calculator. Um, so nicely organized. One of the things that I like about Linux in general is that you don't end up with a whole bunch of extra junk uh, on your menu system. Have you ever noticed, Sasha, when you install a program on Microsoft Windows, you get the start menu item or the uh, whatever you call it now the windows menu item and then you've got all the uninstaller and the readme text files and everything mm-hmm. on the menu mm-hmm. i don't like that it's extra junk that we just don't need on our menu system this if i go to graphics you'll see i have mate image viewer mate color selector shot well and simple scan simple scan's great it allows you to just use your scanner and save to jpeg or or to PDF. It comes with a nice suite of software for the internet from Firefox, your web browser, right out of the box. I didn't have to install it. Uh, Hexchat for IRC, I believe it is. Uh, We've got Pigeon Internet Messenger for IRC instant messaging with uh, ICQ and AOL Instant Messenger and anything else that's out there. Uh, Thunderbird for email. Transmission for torrenting. uh, Downloads and sharing files. And it's all free. Everything's free here. LibreOffice, this is your full uh, office suite. So LibreOffice comes pre-installed on your Ubuntu Mate. So if you use Microsoft Office, mm-hmm. this is compatible. So all your docx files. Okay, so I could say I was at work and I wanted to transfer files. Like I wanted to work on my laptop. Yeah. Save. Your Ubuntu Mate laptop. Yes. Yeah. Save on my super cool USB and then go to right. work, okay. plug her in. Sure. And so, it's Windows. Right. It would be okay. I could open it and save. It would be because here's my, my document. Hello, world. Okay. And by default, when I go file, save as, it's going to default to an open format. So ODT, for okay. example, open text format text document so what you can do is in this pull down actually scroll down and you'll see microsoft word 2007 to 2013 xml which is the docx file format so now by selecting that in the drop down and saving that to my documents right then i can open it now it's warning me that hey by the way you're saving this as a microsoft word document are you sure you want to do that yes 
I say use that format. So the only time I'd ever need to do that is if I'm actually going to be using this on a, on the, the, using that document cross-platform on a Windows system. But you'll see now that in my documents, I have hello.docx. And so that is now compatible with Microsoft Word. So okay. for free, not $350, I have a Word compatible or, uh, you know, Word uh, alternative. Right. I have LibreOffice Calc, which is very similar to uh, Microsoft Excel, just to use an example. Right. And it's compatible. It's, it uses the same formulas. It uses the same file formats, it, again, if you save to that format. And you can open from any file format. But if I want to, I can save those as Excel spreadsheets, right? So I'm taking a bit of an approach, uh, you know, the the new user approach here, because I want you to know that, hey, if you're new to Linux, this is a great distro to take a look at. Yeah. Um, and yourself, you've been using Linux for a while, but it's good to understand this stuff. Well, I've been using Linux personally, and I've mm-hmm. been using Windows professionally, but I never have any sort of cross-interaction. But I could, right. is yeah, what I'm absolutely. saying. But in my they're mind, they were just and- like oil and water, but they're not. Right. They're like... Yeah, if you create a document on Microsoft Office on a Windows computer, can you open it on Linux? The fear is no. Well, absolutely you can. I've never tested it just in case like well, try it something anytime. would... Create something yeah. at work and bring it home with you. Um, so that take, file... Take your work home with you, yeah, Sasha, you know, is nothing what private. just said. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that doc... So, well, this is a docx file, mm-hmm. right? So this was, as far as my operating system is concerned, created in Microsoft Word on a Windows computer. And if I double-click on it, it simply brings it up into LibreOffice. So all that to show you that, hey, right out of the box, this comes mm-hmm. with a great suite of software that's absolutely free. That's Get awesome. you up and running. You've got your web browser. A lot of stuff is web-based these days. Um, pretty much everything that you do is, is online. Think about what you do and what you really need Microsoft Windows for. And then think, man, I, I use Gmail. I use YouTube. I use Category5.tv. All the time. I use Patreon.com slash Category 5 all the time. Sometimes I shop on Amazon. Shop on Amazon using our links. So a lot of stuff happens through the web, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's not a lot these days that holds us back to... um, to the this you know having to have a particular uh, operating system so quickly through the rest of the menu here uh, what have we got we've got sound and video stuff cheese for webcams we've got VLC media player so right out of the box we can play video files Sweet. of multiple different formats without having to figure out how to install it and we've got uh, different system tools and uh, universal access for accessibility under system administration, we've got a handful of things, preferences. Uh, I would think that Software Boutique is probably um, what they're calling the, uh, the software center, and that's what it is. There you go. So if you want to install uh, different programs, curated software collection. And if you just point here, we can see what's available. Various things that can be installed. Again, absolutely free on your computer. Um, so click through here and find, you know, if I want GIMP, the GNU Image Manipulation Program, I'm going to find it under Graphics and uh, get to install that uh, on my computer. There it is there. And then I can go for more information and or install and be good to go. So that's, uh, you know, just a really, really quick run through of Ubuntu Mate. And you see that it's out of the box, operational, ready to go for you. Firefox is right there if you want to bring up your browser and start browsing. Uh, start using um, 
the internet right out of the box. And the other thing to keep in mind is that you don't have the fear like you do on Microsoft Windows of viruses and malicious software infecting right. your system or your network. Even if you're downloading all of those extras like GIMP and everything, there's yeah. never any issue. Well, the, it's just a different it's a different approach to the way a file system works and Linux is notoriously more secure. Okay. So you don't have to worry about getting a virus by installing the things that are in the software repositories in general. Um, always keep a backup. You know, it's knock on wood, but um, mm -hmm. generally speaking, yeah, you're a lot more safe. If you're surfing the web on a Windows machine, someone will say to me, I was just, all I was doing was I clicked on a link on Facebook and suddenly I had this virus that encrypted all my files. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff doesn't happen on Linux. That kind of stuff shouldn't happen anywhere, but this it does. It shouldn't happen, but it does. It yeah. does. On Windows. So check it out. It's ubuntu-mate.org. The full 16.04 LTS long-term support edition is coming out this Thursday, the 21st. Sasha Day. Everybody wish Sasha a happy birthday. And also 